Welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast from Fund Calibre. I'm Darius McDermott, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Matthew Brett, manager of the Bailey Gifford Japanese Fund and the Bailey Gifford Japan Investment Trust. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, I always find Japan fascinating. It's it's a really interesting market, not just on a stock level, but just at a country level. Um, and I'd like to talk to you about, firstly, about a couple of themes which I know were um, on your thinking last year. And the first one is internet, and then secondarily, um, factory automation. Maybe if you could tell us a, in a bit of detail about some of those themes, please. Yeah, so as you say, those are, are the two biggest themes in, in both portfolios. And uh, a quarter uh, of the portfolios roughly are in internet-related businesses, and another about 15% are in the factory automation and robotics areas. And we think that these are two really exciting growth themes for the future. Um, on the, the internet area, it seems to us there's been a, a huge progression over the years from the internet being based on desktops to the mobile internet. Yeah. And what we can do now, the internet is on smartphones, is so much bigger and more disruptive than, than it used to be. And so we still see very big opportunity there. And then on the, the robotics area, what's so exciting for us is how robots uh, are being used beyond the car industry and the electronics industry, how they can be used uh, in many different ways. And I think what's held robots back has been um, the difficulties with, with, with controlling them, the difficulty with the, the autonomy of the robots, but the improvements in machine vision and AI make using robots a lot more widely than they've been used before. Well, presumably there's lots of input parts into the robots, Indeed. which are another investment opportunities that you, that you might look at. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And one of the real strengths of the Japanese is in the, the component manufacturing. Yes, that's um, correct. And that, that is something that, that, of all the things the Japanese do very well, that, that absolutely high is precision, yeah. high precision manufacturing. So, so yes, those two themes of, of the internet and robotics are, 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 as they were last year, the two big themes in the portfolio. And do you see that continuing for a while? I mean, I know you like to play secular growth themes. Um, they, they, they've still got some legs to run or have some of them got a bit hot on a valuation type basis? Yeah, I mean, I think both of them are, are themes that, that it seems highly likely they're going to be in the portfolio for, for a long time period because I think that's really where the, the growth opportunities are. And I think when we um, consider... Uh, how little we change the portfolios from year to year. Um, both of the, the Japanese fund and the Japan Trust had turnover of under 15% last year. So not and much. That that's, that's quite low in an industry standard. Yeah, what that means is 85% of the portfolio this year is the same as it was last year. And the reason we do that is because where we've got these companies that we think can grow over the long term, yeah. And we don't want to fiddle around with that. We just want to let those companies continue to do the growing and to benefit over time from that growth. And is there a, 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 a robotic name or a stock on the robotic side that we may have heard of or that, that you find most interesting? Yeah, so we hold a, a variety of different names in that area, but, but some of the names are Fanuc and yes. Yaskawa Electric. These are two of the, the very biggest robot companies globally. I think what's interesting about robots is that there's only kind of a, a couple of handfuls uh, of robot stocks globally. Yeah. About half of those are listed in Japan. And there's also other automation-related stocks that, that are exciting. So things like SMC, which makes pneumatic valves, or Keyence, 
um, which is effectively a, a consultant uh, for automation. So there's quite a number of ways in which, which we play this, this broad theme, but it's, it's definitely one that, that's very exciting. And I think as a whole, you can see it's an easy sale outside of Japan when the Japanese come and they say, well, would you like to be able to manufacture things to a Japanese quality standard? Yeah. Then people are very much uh, you know, bought into that and, and happy to, to invest in, in those areas. And another topical stock, and actually I believe your biggest position, is SoftBank. Um, Tell us a bit more about SoftBank. I, I know at a headline rate, it invests in other businesses, technologies, and and a, a newer startup companies. Um, it's your biggest stock. What, what's 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 to like about it? Yeah, and also it, it's not just our biggest stock, but it's been our biggest generator of headlines over the past yes, I'm year. Sure. With yeah. the, the WeWork in particular drawing a lot of headlines, but I think what some of the reporting ha- has not got quite right about SoftBank is the overall mix of the assets. Yep. So we think the SoftBank assets are really, really good. Over half of the assets are the big investment in Alibaba, which is China's leading e-commerce company. So you've got the largest e-commerce company in the largest market in the world, and we think that's a huge opportunity. Then they've got some telecoms companies, and the Vision Fund of which we work as part, is only about 15% of the value of SoftBank. And within that 15%, we work is about 3 or 4% of the value, of, the value of, of, that. of SoftBank Group as a whole. So when there are difficulties in that one area, of course it's not wildly helpful, but still the vast majority, 95% plus of the portfolio of SoftBank, is absolutely fine. So that would be the first positive. Yeah. The second thing that excites us about SoftBank is we add up the value of all these different things and then we compare it to the market cap of SoftBank. I was just going to say, well, market, is yeah, it must be totally different. And the market cap of SoftBank is only about half the level of the value of the investments. In fact, basically, the market cap of SoftBank is covered just by the stake in Alibaba on its own, which is quite extreme and quite exciting. And do you think that's as much to do with the Chinese internet names having broadly been very positive in the last three, five years, or an, or almost the opposite, an underappreciation of Japan equities um, holding back the market cap of this? Because you say it's not that difficult to work out the share of SoftBank in Alibaba and then extrapolate it and go, this market cap is wrong. I think it's probably more to do with the, the negative headlines we've had from some of the other parts of the SoftBank business, you know, things like the Vision Fund and yeah. WeWork, where there have been concerns. But again, this has been Mr. Son's investment style uh, for many years. You know, he invests in early stage things and he tries to see them grow over time. And of course, that's how he ended up with a big, very, very valuable stake in Alibaba, which yeah. he got in early and, and has benefited from that over time. And that's the, the third thing we really like about SoftBank is we think Mr. Son as a manager is an incredibly value-added person. He came from a, a, a poor background and he's currently Japan's second richest person. Yeah. Um, you know, and that just doesn't really chime with some of the headlines that we see um, about SoftBank because, you know, from our point of view, he's, he's you know, one of Japan's top managers and top investors. And let's be honest, if you are an early stage investor in multiple companies, one or two of them are always going to go wrong, right? I mean, that, that's almost just 
a law of averages. So did the WeWork or the failure of the WeWork IPO, I, I know it was read through to SoftBank, did it cause a lot of volatility in SoftBank share price? Or, yes, or, I mean, or did it, it wasn't helpful to the share price and, and we took the opportunity to, to add a bit more at that stage and, and subsequently the shares have, have been you know, stronger again. Um, and I think it, it is interesting sometimes that it does feel that at times share prices overreact to pieces of news that, well, interesting, are not core to yeah. the investment case. And, and that does sometimes give us opportunities, yes. Um, and I'd like to talk about um, Prime Minister Abe, now the longest serving Prime Minister um, how, how do you think he's done sort of, what is it now, four, five, six years maybe of, how's his school report read in, with respect to some of his early plans and achievements for Japanese business and investment? Well, I think overall, the great thing that, that, that Mr. Abe has, has brought to the Japanese politics is stability. Yes. There was a period after Mr. Koizumi when there seemed to be a Japanese prime minister every few months, and that created a great deal of uncertainty and disruption. And I think now one of the real positives about investing in Japan is that politics is very simple. You know, the Japanese, um, they're, they're a country on their own. Uh, everyone in that country uh, agrees they want to be part of the same country. Yeah. And they all agree that they're separate to their neighbours and, and it's all very clear. And I think that that just provides a helpful background for investment. And I think what Mr. Abe has managed to do really is generate a bit more confidence in the individual business people in Japan that actually, you know, if you have a more stable political background, you can get on and invest, you can run your business, you can try and make some money. And I think that, you know, we see, you know, the unemployment rate in Japan is very, very low and there are definitely opportunities for people. And I think that that's really boosted the confidence. A lot was talked about the sort of three arrows and the sort of the inflation target and the quantitative easing which were sort of nominally easier to try and achieve, maybe not so much on inflation. But um, I've met a couple of Japanese managers recently, and they've been really focusing on the governance side, the unwinding of cross-shareholdings. And these are sorts of things which you know, I've heard for a very long time. But is there evidence that you're seeing that this is actually happening with subsidiaries investing finally from parent companies or someone says actually taking them back over is it is this something that's of, of causing opportunity for you yeah i think the third arrow this is really this idea of structural reform is really best thought of as a quiver of arrows on its own rather than a single thing and what we've seen there is is these things take actually quite a long time to play out and some of the things that have happened like the introduction of the japanese corporate governance code and the stewardship code these things don't sound very exciting but they're really quite important because they change the relationship that japanese boards and japanese companies have with shareholders and they make the companies a lot more interested in the shareholders so for example if we go back 10 years you know, many, many Japanese companies didn't have an independent director at all. Now, almost all Japanese companies have two independent directors and about a third have a third or more independent directors on the board. And that's just a massive difference from the past. And it means there's much more... Are they truly independent? Are they able to be a, a, a non-exec director as would be thought of maybe in the UK or the United States? Are they... Do they have power? Well, I think the first stage of any kind of process of change is to get the structures right. 
And I think to start with, the structure is right now. There's an encouragement to have independent directors. But of course, as you say, um, one of the, the challenges for Japan is it doesn't have a culture of independent directors. No, so they've got to grow so, up into so, it. So, so now we've got the right structures in place and we've got independent directors um, on the boards. Those independent directors are now growing and developing in that role. And their skill sets. And their yeah. skill sets are growing. And so I think... You know, this is my point to go back to the start about it being a quiver of arrows and these kind of structural reforms take time because these things, you know, it's almost like kind of a decade-long journey. It doesn't happen instantly. But I think it's very helpful overall for us as investors in Japan that these changes have taken place. Matthew, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for your time today. For more information on the Investing on the Go podcast, please visit funcalibur.com. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.